Welcome to the Get Cozy Podcast, where we talk all about that coziest of book genres, the cozy mystery. I'm your host, Christy Meyer, and I'll be bringing you weekly author interviews and keeping you up to date on all the hottest upcoming cozy mystery releases. So grab yourself a cup of your favorite hot beverage and let's get cozy. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we jump into today's episode, I have very exciting news. Since today's podcast guest is none other than Julianne Lindsay, aka Brie Baker, Sourcebooks has generously offered to give one of our listeners a complete set of the Seaside Mysteries. That's seven books. I am so excited for whoever wins because the Seaside Mysteries is one of my favorite cozy series of all time. All you have to do to be entered is head over to our Instagram account at Get Cozy Podcast and comment on the giveaway post with the secret password, which I'm going to tell you right now. The secret password is Lou, that's L-O-U. And while you're on Instagram, be sure to give at Sourcebooks and at Julianne Lindsay a follow as well because they're both fabulous. Best of luck, everyone. Hi, hello, my cozy friends. Welcome to Get Cozy Podcast. I'm thrilled to have you all here listening along to today's episode because our guest author today is certainly a fan favorite and she's a favorite of mine as well. Julianne Lindsay is an award-winning and best-selling author of cozy mysteries and romantic suspense. She's published more than 40 novels since her debut in 2013. She currently writes as herself, as well as under the pen names Brie Baker, Jacqueline Frost, and Julie Chase. So welcome to the show, Julianne. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Christy. Of course. I'm so, so excited to have you here. And like I said, I'm such a huge fan of all of your series of yours that I've read so far. They're all an absolute delight, and I'm so excited to dive into our conversation today. We're going to be discussing author pen names, and while we do see authors in all genres writing under various pen names, it seems to be an especially common practice among cozy mystery authors. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on why that is. Okay, I get asked this a lot, and I have asked this a lot. Um, and no one really is, I, I don't have a definite, you know, this really is my thoughts or my two cents, but I think it's a couple things. Um, now, I don't know why it's so popular with cozy mysteries um, as opposed to like everything else. A lot of authors I know in different genres, you know, they choose uh, different pen names to maybe represent the genre, let readers know, hey, this is what I write over here. Um but cozy publishers really like you to have a new pen name. And I've been told in the past that it helps their marketing teams. It helps them to sort of brand that new name with that series so that they really want to work hard on their end to make it synonymous. So for me, my Jacqueline Frost, hey, that's that's my Christmas tree farm mysteries. And my Brie Baker, she's got a Seaside Cafe series. So um 
yeah. So it's, I think it's really a, a marketing, um, it has to do with marketing. And I've been told in the past too, on that line, that if when the, when the marketing teams go to try to get, say those tables, the much coveted end caps or the tables at bookstores where you walk in and they say, uh, debut releases or mm-hmm. debuts by, you got to be a debut and they don't necessarily care if it's not your very first book you've ever written. But if it's that pen names kind of debut in society, uh, it gets a crack at that table and those special um, different marketing plans. Wow, that's interesting. And it does make a lot of sense. Um, And I just have to say that as an avid reader, it's always just such a delightful surprise when you find out that your favorite author also has more books (laughs) under other names. Um, Your Seaside Cafe series is uh, the first one of yours that I started reading. Um, and so I instantly fell in love with it and was posting oh. about it on Instagram. And then a fellow reader said, hey, you know, that's Julianne Lindsay, right? Which I didn't. And I was so excited that I could then just go pick up a whole bunch more of your books. Oh, that's awesome. God bless my readers who are just <laughs> out there spreading the word for me. <laughs> yes. You, I have yes. to say, you have a fabulous following. Um, I, I mostly so, do my social media on Instagram, on, and like mm-hmm. every single day, I see so many posts of your books on Instagram, and I just love it. That makes me so happy. I'm new to Instagram. I mean, I've been, I've had a, I've had an account forever, but I didn't really under. I'm not sure that I do understand it now. I mean, <laughs> not, not to sound like I know what I'm doing, but in the last maybe a year. Uh, pandemic, you know, the pandemic shifted everything. And mm-hmm. I started really looking at social media and trying to find a good time there when we weren't really supposed to go anywhere else. Right. And, um, and so I've really just found the Instagram community too. And, and it's kind of marvelous and so different than everything else. And, and yeah, it's thrilling every time I see someone posting my, and I never know, you'll have to tell me, am I doing it right? Every time I see someone <laughs> that posts a copy of my book, I'm so dang thrilled to see it. I always comment and I always, you know, just, I try to be play instead of just like squealing or doing a bunch of random keyboard letters. Mm-hmm. I, I thank people, you know, thank you so much for reading my book or for giving my story a try because it's really humbling when you think of all of the books, brand new books, awesome books to come out every single day. Right. And one author, just one little author in this big sea of, of, of books. And to have someone pick my book, it just feels like special and exciting every time. So I jump in there and comment. And sometimes I wonder if I'm stepping on toes by just crashing, <laughs> crashing the post and <laughs> raising my hand. <laughs> yeah, I totally, like, I totally understand that. And it, I've heard a lot of like conversation around this between various authors and readers um, about, you know, if it's appropriate for authors to comment on posts. And I will tell you, as a reader um, that does take the time to make posts on social media about somebody's book, like to us, that means everything in the world for an author just to say thank you. But, you know, at the same time, I do understand how overwhelming it could be for an author to have readers have that much access to you as a person as well. So I totally understand both sides. I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it, but I will say that as a reader, that interaction just means everything. Oh, good. That makes me happy. I never want to like crash toes or crash, crash toes. I don't want to do that either, but I don't want to step onto like readers are just having a conversation. And here comes this like, I don't know, 
the bowl in the china shop office yeah no i mean if a reader is tagging you in a post i i feel like that is like a an open invitation for you to comment <laughs> on the post and participate in the conversation yeah. absolutely i was curious about how you do go about selecting your pen names and then deciding which one you're going to use for each of your series Okay, I have the answer for this. Well, with the Jacqueline Frost series, the Christmas Tree Farm series, that's actually um, a writer for hire series. It was the idea of the publisher. They said, hey, uh, we think we can sell a a, a traditional style cozy mystery set on a Christmas tree farm up north somewhere, New England somewhere. Do you want to give a crack at it? And I was like, yeah, I can, you know, I'll do that. And so because the initial concept there was their idea they chose the pen name and they chose kind of a Christmassy name. Uh, but for Brie Baker and I once wrote as Julie Chase, uh, I was given the advice to choose a name that's easy to remember, hard to misspell, and somewhere near the beginning of the alphabet. So the easy to remember is obvious, right? You might see it at a store or online and you have to remember it. Uh-huh. And then hard to misspell so that when they go to Google me or look for me again, they can find me. And at the beginning of the alphabet, because they said so often booksellers and librarians that are looking at the catalog of what's coming out in six months and deciding how to spend that small budget, they get pulled away and they have to put that magazine down, that catalog down, and they might never get all the way through it. So having a name at the beginning of the alphabet gives them the best, me the best chance that they're going to see me before they have to walk away. That's fascinating. And (laughs) it's all so smart. And just something that like would never even cross my mind to think about when coming up with a strategy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy how many small little business things are at play. Just they're little, but they're everywhere, it seems. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then for me as the author, um, once I get a list of things that fit that protocol, then I go to GoDaddy or something like that and start plugging in, looking to see if the website's available. I want people to be able to find me. And I've had cute names that I thought were really adorable that were um, actually really dirty things that I would want my cozy readers to, to Google that name and find, or to make sure that another author is not already using that name. That might be their actual name. Right. <laughs> so you don't wanna... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so much more complicated than I even <laughs> anticipated. And I do want to chat about a few of your series today. And I thought we could start with the Cider Shop Mysteries, which is definitely a fan favorite amongst cozy readers. So can you tell us what that series is about and then if fans can expect more novels in the series? Okay, yeah. So the Cider Shop Mysteries, um, they're set in the Blue Ridge Mountains. They're in northern West Virginia, and it's very rural, small town, just very country, you know? So it's not necessarily these quaint small towns you'd see in a New England story. This is very West Virginia, and it is based on a lot of time that I've spent there growing up. My dad, he's 83 now, was born and raised in like a coal mining town and all his people, uh, they lived there. So even though he moved to Ohio and found work and raised me, we would every weekend go back to this tiny town. And and it was just a different world down there. And as soon as he retired, that is right back where he went. And now I am taking my kids there to visit their grandparents. And He's just so proud of me as an author. I was the first person in my family to go to college and then to become an author is kind of um, just 
he's just very proud. Yeah. And so I wanted to write this <laughs> yeah, as it's kind of a, the series is a love letter, I guess, from me to that region and honor my dad. And just, I, I think I say in one of those, he like has West Virginia in his soul. I mean, that state and those people mean everything to him. And I tried my best to represent the town that I visited and supported those now when I wrote it. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, uh, in reading the books, like Wynne also definitely has West Virginia in her soul. <laughs> um, so I love that. And when I describe that book, I always uh, kind of describe Blossom Valley as being like the country version of Stars Hollow. And I just want to oh, like, yeah, <laughs> I want to curl up inside those books and just live there. It's such a great setting. Oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah, and something I learned along the way writing those books that I guess maybe I knew but hadn't thought about one of those things is that between where I live in Kent, Ohio, and then traveling down to northern West Virginia, I pass a ton of these very old mail pouch barns, but I didn't Mm -hmm. really realize that they are very specific to this area, Um, and people all across the country don't have those, and so it seemed perfect her to have her cider shop on an apple orchard in one of those barns. Yeah, I definitely had to Google that term when I was reading. <laughs> and like, I'm a country girl. I live out in the country. Um, and I was like, I don't think I know what a male pouch barn is. Uh-huh. So yeah, that was really interesting. And so you do have the three books out now. Are oh. you planning on any more? Uh, right now, it does not look like there will be more. Um a bunch of things went into play with that. I'm going to blame mostly the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, honestly, it always falls on me. So it's definitely a me problem. But the me problem started with the pandemic. Book one came out in November of 2019. And then book two came out in April of 2020 when shipping had stopped. No one was driving trucks or, right. you know, like nothing was happening. And so... Book three, which was slated to come out six months later, was pushed back 16 months, I think. So by the time book three was coming out, I had, I don't know, I think I had given, I had assumed, which you know what they say about that, but I had assumed that with that kind of a break between books, I was going to have lost readers. No one was going to know what the heck happened 16 months ago or maybe even care. All of that Mm -hmm. hype that I had built up in, in, you know, with the closer release, all of that was gone. And so I went ahead and, and just filled my calendar, my writing schedule. And there wasn't really any more room. And then book three came out and you guys, your readers came back and were, were happy and <laughs> enjoyed it and wanted more. And I was, I was left without, you know, when am I going to write this without leaving another you know, two year gap? So. Right. Yeah. It's so happened. fascinating. Um, the amount of time that publishing takes, the way that book deals work. Um, And I, I like you're taking a lot of ownership, but I feel like so much is outside of the author's control. Cause originally like when you sign a book deal, it's for like a set amount of books and the publisher just kind of waits to see how they sell and nobody knows what's going on. And then you throw a pandemic on top of that. That's completely (laughs) unpredictable. And then publishers have no idea what contracts to you know, renew right. and add more books too. And it's just, it's a hot mess. It is. It, yeah, that pandemic definitely. And it was such a, I think that our industry just had this really wild ride because 
it did create all these delays and, mm-hmm. and that, you know, that everyone experienced. But at the same time, it was the first time I felt like part of the entertainment industry. You know, I'm, if, if authors are part of the entertainment industry, we're like the, yeah. I don't know, the nerdy ones or something, you know, because <laughs> right. we pop stars and movies, but people were, had time to read again yeah, <laughs> and they were reading and reading and reading. And so there was, we were both in demand and, and unable to produce at the same time. Right. I mean, other than eBooks. And so it was a strange time for, to be an author. Such a strange time. Uh, (laughs) It's fascinating, but I will say that um, when I read the third book, it did feel like it, it wrapped up the series very well. Um, so like, well, I I will always want more of those characters in that setting and all, cause it's just so delightful. I do feel like the stories felt complete as it is. Oh, bless you for saying that. I've learned now that however many books are my contract, I try to make the last book under contract satisfying on some level for readers, because like you said, there's just no guarantee Mm -hmm. it takes so long to find out if there's a readership, you don't know if you're going to get the chance to write another Right. Uh, I don't want to leave everyone hanging. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it did feel well, well wrapped up and you have so many other books going on. So you've definitely got uh, plenty of content coming up for your readers. Um, <laughs> Stay busy. <laughs> yeah, you definitely do. So I did want to shift gears to one of your other series, uh, the Seaside Cafe series, which is the one that you publish under the name Brie Baker. It's one of my very favorite cozy series. Um, So do you want to start by telling our listeners what that one's about as well? Sure. In the Seaside Cafe Mysteries, my heroine, Everly Swan, she comes home to Charm, North Carolina, which is a fictional town, but I set it in the Outer Banks, which is a region that I absolutely love. Those are the barrier islands off the coast of North Carolina. And it's a town that her family settled the women in her family settled years ago, maybe 200 years ago. And um, they still live there, but it's pretty much down to just her two great aunts. She's lost her grandma, her parents, everyone. And rumor has it, or family lore has it, that the swan women are cursed in two ways. One is that they can't leave the island or bad things happen. You know, bad is very much open to interpretation. And my heroine Everly assumes that her massively broken heart is that bad thing so she comes home to lick her wounds the other curse alleged curse is that anyone that they that they love dies unexpectedly suddenly gone so it's not wise to to love uh a swan woman and everly was following her boyfriend around a rodeo circuit and the poor guy was being beat nearly to death left and right but he loved the rodeo so he wasn't leaving and he let her go instead and she comes home. So she opens a iced tea shop in an old Victorian home on the shore in her hometown. And of course, then begins helping, helping solve local crimes. Right. And uh, it, it's such a great series. I love everything about it. Like from the, the history of the family to like that, um, like potential curse and slightly paranormal potential, aspect that's kind of running through the background of the series and then I mean just Everly and the characters it just it has my heart and Aww. I I love it and I don't usually cry when I read cozies 
But I was <laughs> bawling when I read the ending of Pleading the Fish, which isn't out yet. It comes out in April. Um, so I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy. And they were happy tears, but it also felt like <laughs> the end of this series. So I'm guessing that's the final book. It is. It is. And I could just, I don't have enough love to share with uh, source books and Poison Pen Press. This publisher knew that it was getting to be a long series. And, you know, just from a marketing and a business standpoint, they said, I think that this next book you write is probably should be the last one. We've got mm-hmm. a good, good thing going here. Um, but let's, let's try to wrap it up. And so I cried. Wrap <laughs> it up. I'm not done. Um, but they gave me, per- so number one, just having that heads up was priceless. But then number two, they gave me the freedom to do whatever I wanted to finish it in a, in a satisfying way. And I told them, I want this last book to be so perfect. I mean, you know, nothing, you know, no big goal or anything for myself, but I wanted it to be so perfect that when readers who love the series read the last book that they would want, they would feel so good about it. They'd want to read them all again, you know, Mm -hmm. knowing how it's going to end, like there would be comfort and just satisfaction there. And they let me write a prologue, which is not something that happens in cozies. And Uh then they let me write three epilogues. I had so much to say and they let me just keep going. I'm can I have one? Can I have two? Can I have three? <laughs> and I think they would have let me go as long as I needed to tell readers everything I thought that they needed to really feel good. Yeah. Oh, so. and they did it like just those three epilogues. Cause they're, they're epilogues told from different characters perspectives oh, and right. they, something else you don't get to do. Oh, in cozy. <laughs> yeah. And each one of them was just like, so full of like love and emotion and just Man, I I was bawling. <laughs> so they were just oh so lovely. Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you have also recently started publishing your Bonnie and Clyde mysteries, and you are publishing those books so rapidly. So far, <laughs> yeah, so far we've been getting one new book each month, which is so <laughs> exciting as readers. So um, let's talk about what that series is about as well, and then maybe how many books readers can expect. Okay. So Bonnie and Clyde, Bonnie is my second chance shop owner, like a resale shop. Uh, My second chance shop owner in this very small town, rural southern Georgia. And Clyde is her kitty companion and her very best friend. She's gone through a rough divorce. She's come home to a town she loves to just try to figure out who she is. After having been, she's, and she's older. It was kind of, um, it's my first heroine that isn't under 30. She's, Mm -hmm. she is looking at 40. And so instead of finding that first true love and all that, she has been married since she was 19. So she spent 19 years at home and then 19 years married to kind of to a bully. Mm -hmm. And she's all of a sudden she's, I mean, can you imagine? That's the fascination for me with this is, can I imagine at 40, getting to start over with the life experience and the knowledge and just the wisdom of years. Right. Um, that seems pretty amazing. So, uh, yeah, so I'm exploring that with her and, and Clyde. <laughs> yeah. And, and Clyde is her cat, by the way, who is adorable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a best friend, someone she can trust. Uh-huh. And, and they make a great pair. I think they're just 
they're just a lot of fun and perfect. And I'm able to publish them really quickly because I decided to to self-publish them, another pandemic decision. When mm-hmm. you can't control anything, you right. just do something big, right? I could have cut my bangs or something, <laughs> but instead I had just decided instead, to you're publishing novel. Become a publisher, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Um it like there's a lot of stigma in indie pu- in publishing in general about indie publishing. You know, a lot of uh, people in the publishing industry look down on it, and a lot of readers assume that books that are indie published just aren't good enough to be traditionally published, which certainly isn't the case, as you demonstrate in the Bonnie and Clyde series. Um, so what are some of the reasons that authors do choose to go the indie route? An awful lot of people do just go indie to avoid... Uh, jumping through the hoops and trying to be selected um, for traditional publishing. And it, it's a hard, it's like trying to deciding to be an actor or an actress right now and just running off to Hollywood. It's the competition's fierce. There's so many talented authors out there. And in the years you could spend trying to get your manuscript published traditionally, you could just go and publish it, you know, yourself. And so a lot of people just, I don't know. That's just the way for them to go. And because who knows when they would get that traditional contract and it might Mm -hmm. not have anything to do with their writing because traditional publishing is a business. And so they are buying what's selling. And if you've got something that's, that's absolutely phenomenal, agents and editors will still have to turn it down Mm -hmm. because they have to buy what's selling. And so that's, I guess, the catch-22. Everyone gets into this industry because they love books, and sometimes you know this is the best book, but you can't get it published. It's just not the right time and and all that. So there's that, and then um, money is another thing, money and also control. Mm-hmm. So um, in traditional publishing, uh, a lot of authors get an advance, and that could be just a, any size advance, and then royalties on the, on the back end once you've earned out your advance, but it's a small percentage, you know, it might be 10% or 8% on, on the cost of a retail book is what an author will get and maybe 40% from an ebook. But if you're an indie publisher, then you get more like, I don't know, 75 or, I mean, the Mm -hmm. percentage is, is astronomical compared to what you get when you're working with the publisher, because the publisher is a business who has to pay their editors and their marketing team and their art team, you know, and all of that overhead. And so, I mean, it makes sense. I, I definitely don't see that traditional publishing is a ripoff by, by, because you hear that too, like, oh, they take so much. Well, they're a big business and their mm-hmm. reach is far greater, but the author gets a bigger slice of the pie right away, but they also yeah. have to wear all the hats. So there's that. Oh, that's where the control comes in. Um, when you independently publish, you get to pick everything. So you don't have to get stuck with a cover that, you know, in your soul, no one is going to pick up and look at, right. um, because it doesn't match your book or you get to pick the title. So you had the perfect title of your heart picked out and they changed it to something that thought would sell and ruins your moment. And, um, the publishers come and give you a, a revision letter right away after they buy your book and, and have you make all these revisions. That's really, really hard for some people that, consider their stories, you know, their babies and pieces mm-hmm. of their heart. And so when you indie publish, you get to control all that too. So I think it's kind of probably a mix of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, I think it just takes such a tremendous amount of like self-confidence and also just, you know, like uh, taking ownership of your career 
and choosing to move forward in the way that you want to to do indie publishing, which is really admirable. And I mean, there's definitely like pluses and minuses to indie and traditional. Um, there's mm-hmm. always a huge debate about which one's better. Um, no. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I tried the, the traditional route. I was an agent, agented author. Um, I did not sell on submission. Um, and so I'm going to try the indie route as well starting next year. And I'm nervous. <laughs> That's but, so exciting. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. And I'm definitely going to be like watching you as an example of what I should be oh, doing. I'm over here winging it. Let me tell you, I was fortunate enough to have been writing cozies long enough that when I decided to do this, well, I had a series that I loved that got canceled when I wasn't ready for it to be canceled. So there's been little things along the way. You know, I've had to change things I really would have preferred not to change. And mm-hmm. then the pandemic hit, like I said, I was like, I'm going to write the series I want to write. I'm going to write it how I want to write it. I know what my readers want. I talk to them every single day. I'm going to give them what I want to write. Right. So, um, but I had editor friends from over the years that did freelance work. And I just hit them up and said, Hey, would you work with me on a side project? And I had gotten to know the audio actress that voices my cider shop mystery. So I hit her up on the side and said, hey, I'm awesome. thinking of doing this thing. Would you, would you, you know, can I get you over here on the side for my project? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so the network definitely, um, it definitely helped. I wasn't just going in blind everywhere, but, mm-hmm. uh, but then once the book comes together and it's out there, I don't know, then I'm in the same boat as everyone else. One book out of, you know, a gazillion that come out every day, trying to be found. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's hard no matter what side of publishing you're doing, there's different challenges. Um, and indie publishing is a lot of work. There's a lot of pieces that a traditional publishing house would be doing for you where when you are the, uh, indie publisher yourself, you're taking them on and doing them. Um, so can you tell us what the indie publishing process has been like for you? Okay. Well, when I decided, when I got interested in the possibility, I started reading and listening to and watching absolutely everything I could get my hands on uh, by and about indie publishing. So I just read, I went to online conferences and just learned mm-hmm. as much as I could. And, and I don't know, that was like a crash course, crash course college. Yeah. And then from there, I had to find an editor. Getting a good editor is just very, very important. And luckily, I, you know, I had inroads to those, but I had to hire an editor. I created an LLC, which you don't have to do, but I did because that just made me feel a little more legitimized. You know, I created mm-hmm. Cozy Queen Publishing which to I go love. with my brand. I love that name. <laughs> it's so perfect. I interviewed audio actresses and I hired Amy and she and I make such a great team. I just adore her. I had to hire a proofreader because that's another step um, after the editing and you make the editor's changes that it needs proofread for mm-hmm. just everything. And I got a Canva account. I was never one to spend a lot of time doing the social media and the marketing. So I had to learn how to make graphics and get familiar with that. I'm not familiar with all the social medias, but I picked a couple that I like. I find right. my readers are on Facebook. So I created a reader group on Facebook and I created an ARC team and then I had to get a book funnel account and learn how to distribute arcs digitally. I started building up my newsletter that had been sorely neglected for a decade Mm -hmm. and sending newsletters every month. And, um, 
it's a lot of charts. Just having an art team, there's a lot of vetting out who really wants to help you and who just wants a free book and might not even read it. Right. And I sent thank you cards to a hundred people that were on my art team for giving me a first review and a little crown sticker. And then I've got this big spreadsheet and I track who who does the arc and where. And then um, when book three came out, everyone that had been with me three to- for three reviews got a like a little crown pin with little jewels in it. And I'm just trying to make sure that they know how deeply I appreciate them. Like they are everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are the things that I'm every day thinking about now as right. a, as a self publisher that I never gave any thought to as a publisher. Yeah, I mean as an author. That's so. It's so. It's so much. Uh, like learning learning how to write a book is so much. Learning how mm-hmm. to like query and try to traditionally publish a book is so much, and then trying to learn how to indie publish a book is just so much and it's daunting um it is yeah so it it's really cool to watch you kind of like navigate the process of you know all three of those things so successfully um and wow it's just like you write so many books you do such a like sheer volume of work that you're getting done all the time it's just really impressive and I'm curious to know then what a day in your writing life looks like now (laughs) um okay so I get up, I get up around six every day. I've got kids at home still and I get one on to, or off with her dad, off to school. She goes to one school and then I drive my other son goes to, I call it nerd school. He goes to a STEM <laughs> school in another County uh-huh. and I drive him there, but I work. I, when I get up at six and I'm having coffee and kids are getting ready, I'm going through all the emails I missed the night before and just trying to respond to them from my website or from my direct email any social media I can uh, respond to. Because if you comment on something of mine on social media, I do my darndest to see it and to let you know I appreciate it. So I try to do that until I get home from dropping my son off around nine. And then what do I do then? I don't know. Then I, oh, (laughs) the goal is to write a chapter a day. That's how I get through my, the Mm -hmm. volume that I write. I know for me, a novel is between 22 and 28 chapters. 23 or 24 is probably average. And I outline, I like, I live by my outlines. And Mm -hmm. so every day I copy paste the bullet points from the next chapter into my word doc that I'm working on. And my goal is to write that chapter before it's time to go get my son from school. And then when he gets home, my goal in the evening is to reread that, make it as clean as I can. And I send it to a critique partner who reads it for me and gives me feedback. And while she's doing that, I, you know, do the dinner and the momming things, but once everyone's settled after dinner, I get back to bed. I work on graphics for the next day. I schedule my posts for the week, catch up on any comments that have been made during the day. I don't know. And I edit late into the night when I get edits back from traditional publishers. Mm-hmm. I work on those late at night because I can get through those pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I do before bed is just check on my art team and make sure everybody's situated. Nobody needs anything. Nobody's been waiting all day for me. And, and uh, yeah. Wow. So that's like a, a full-time plus plus <laughs> job it is. that I you're doing. I, I probably work 12 hours a day, maybe mm-hmm. seven days a week. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a lot. And it's really interesting because um, you kind of see authors like falling into one of two camps where you have, and, and neither one would, I would say is superior to the other, but you have like the authors that like really look at writing as like an art and they're waiting for the inspiration Uh and kind of like going that approach. Then you have the the authors that like 
treat it like a job and this is how much we write and we do this every single day and we don't wait for inspiration, we just get it done. Uh, kind of an uh, approach and it's so interesting. It is. It has so much to do with personality. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you because you uh, love cozies, you probably know or have heard of Amanda Flower. Oh, Amanda yeah. Amanda Flower, she writes Amish. Okay, so she lives here in my town and we're oh. part of the Sisters in Crime group. And it's just really neat to, we have about the same productivity level, but I'm a, I'm a dedicated outliner and I, I can't function without them. Uh-huh. And she couldn't probably write a fully you know, vetted outline. She could write it, but her book's not going to be anything like that later. She'll tell you that she writes on the fly. That's how Uh she, that's how our mind works. That's how our personality works. And so we often are compared um, locally because of how much writing we do. Right. But we laugh because we have two different brains that work two different ways and neither one of us could, uh, could change it. So I don't fight it. Don't take a class on outlining if that's not who you are and then kick yourself because you can't outline, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. They're like, they're, and this is a a good thing and a bad thing. There's no right, wrong or right way to write a book. You just have to do it however gets you to the end. So in your Cozy Mysteries, you give readers some very swoony book book boyfriends who also (laughs) happen to be in law enforcement. So if you had to choose one book boyfriend between Grady Hayes, Colton Wise, and Mason Wright, who would you choose? That is such a heart. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I try I probably am gonna say Mason. Uh-huh. Um because Mason makes me laugh and the other two are just a little more brooding yep. than than Mason. Mason makes me laugh and and I enjoy that. I live for the laughter and for the break and um so probably him, but if I could pick from any book boyfriend, any cozy hero, I really am attached to my first cozy hero, um, Jack Oliver. He was in the Kitty Couture series set in New Orleans. Okay. I loved I loved that uh-huh. fictional man. Yeah, no, that's a great one as well. <laughs> um Oof. And it's it's a tough one for me too to choose between your your leading men because they're all such great characters. But I think for me, I would give a slight edge to Grady Hayes. Uh, I like, uh huh. He's like he's romantic and he is fun, even though he is broody. Um, (laughs) And he comes with Denver, which is just a huge selling point. That's true. (laughs) He does come with Denver. Yeah. Every time I sit down to write a hero, I write him for her. So even though they don't know they're going to fall in love yet, I do. And so I I come at my heroines with a man that is going to be exactly what she needs or what's going to be just perfect. You know, if right. only we could do that in reality. I know. Huh? I, I, <laughs> I design them for my heroines. Yeah. And he is absolutely perfect for Everly. I mean, as are the other leading men for your main characters. So I also love the settings in your novels. They're all so quaint and cozy. So if you could choose to live in either Charm, North Carolina, Bliss, Georgia, or Blossom Valley, West Virginia, which would you pick? I would go to Charm. Charm. I am a seaside girl. I absolutely adore the Outer Banks. We try to get there every year for big family vacation. And... I never, ever get tired or bored of it. It never feels old or overdone. I just feel at home. And it would just, I don't know. My dream is to is to get to move there when my youngest takes off for college. Mm-hmm. Can, you know, 
how neat. Come and visit me there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I would love to go on vacation to charm the most, but to live in would probably be Blossom Valley. Um, which, Aww. I mean, that's a lot like where I live now. Like yeah. we have a pumpkin patch at our house and our, our backyard is just like farms with goats and cows and horses and alpacas. So that's like very much my comfort zone. <laughs> Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I, I just love Blossom Valley. And your main characters are all so spunky. They're likable and admittedly nosy, which is a very important trait <laughs> in an amateur sleuth. So between Bonnie, Everly, and Winnie, is there a main character you most identify with? I'm not. I'm not sure. I think that I probably write myself into all of them a Mm -hmm. little bit. I'm definitely um, kind of excitable and I think I'm likable, but I know that uh, my energy is a little higher than, say, most of my friends. (laughs) So um, I think that comes across in my my heroines. And I'm just not sure because Bonnie's been so um, kind of bruised and hurt. I don't know that she is, I guess maybe Everly. And then Winnie, she's just so darn sweet. Mm-hmm. I she is. I don't probably not her. I guess maybe I'll say Everly. Everly, I could definitely see that, and I love Everly. She's so great. So one important element in cozies is having main characters with interesting professions, and obviously you have that with Winnie's cider shop and Bonnie's dress shop and Everly's tea shop. So how do you go about deciding which profession your main characters will have? Well, I come at those from kind of a strategic standpoint, too. Um, Not so much with Bonnie and her dress shop, because those probably aren't quite as popular as the other things. But with the other two, I know that culinary is the most popular cozy. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do it new and different because there are so many. I mean, it's it's borderline saturated for new ideas. So you have to come up with a new twist. So I'm in a bookshop and I was at the Outer Banks and there were a bunch of cozies and I was talking to my mother about them. And I just, it just clicked to me for the first time that there were all of these tea shops. Like those were crazy popular at the time. Maybe they still are, but, but they were all hot tea shops. And because I was at the Outer Banks, it occurred to me that there weren't any iced tea shops. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is, this is an opportunity. People yeah. like these culinary cozies and no one has written a nice tea shop. And then being at the Outer Banks, I thought, this is where it belongs. And it just started to come to me from there. And the cider shop, I knew I wanted culinary. I, I wanted to set it in West Virginia. There's not a lot of love given to rural West Virginia right. um, as there should be. So, and I wanted to do that for my dad. And the cider shop just seemed perfect because in that area, there just are so many farms you know the the families make their entire living it's their farm whatever they're farming whether it's pumpkins or livestock or orchards or or whatever so so that's how I did that but yeah I look for an opportunity in the market because I need to be different but the same you want to give readers exactly what they want but not exactly what they keep getting right yeah (laughs) just you know another no uh, problem (laughs) another like very complicated thing to have to think through when you're writing books and trying to sell books trying to write to the market which is constantly shifting so (laughs) yes yeah 
So like we mentioned, you do write under other pen names and in different genres as well. So are there any other books that you've published that you'd like our listeners to have on their radars? Well, I think we've talked about all my cozies. Um, I write romantic suspense for Harlequin, if I have any readers that also read that. Sometimes those can be a little too scary or just too much romance, but I love romance and it probably shows up in my cozies more than some cozies. Um, Which is why we love them. (laughs) I just love them. Yeah. So I write romantic suspense, but I write this myself for Harlequin and I write Christmas tree farm mysteries for, um, as Jacqueline Frost. And I just had a new one of those come out in October, uh, slashing the snow and Bonnie and Clyde are going to get a spinoff series. Um, the Thelma and Louisa mysteries. Thelma oh, is a, a Polish. Thelma is a Polish hen, and Louisa is a, a breeder, and she's trying to start an egg enterprise. Oh so my that's gosh, my I love that. <laughs> my next. That's my next series, and I think I think that's it wow. for now. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, my next question was going to be, what are you working on right now? And it seems like the answer is just a lot. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm marketing the Bonnie and Clydes and I'm writing. And right now I am in the middle of writing the No Farm, No Foul is the first book in Thelma and Louisa's Mysteries. Mm-hmm. I am out. I'm knocking on doors of my old publishers, all the cozies that I have had uh, recipes in. Oh, yeah. The ones that have been published. I'm asking each of my publishers right now, calling them out if they're listening. (laughs) I'm asking everyone if I can pretty please take all of those recipes that have already been published and put them in one Cozy Queen cookbook to give away to readers just as a marketing, as a way to unite all of my names because so many people, you know, love this series and don't realize I write this one and vice versa. So. It w- they've already been published. It wouldn't be anything I'd sell. It'd be something I'd be out there saying, hey, if you like Brie Baker's Seasides, you know, here's all the recipes in one place. So let's talk about all these. So That's I'm working so on that fun. and getting it ready. I love then, that idea. Do you love it? I think it's so great because who doesn't want them all in one place, right? Yeah. I wish I'd have one. So it'll, it'll help me too. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and like, my original, like the first series I ever wrote that I thought was cozy. It's so funny how much I didn't know. There's so much you don't know, you don't know until uh-huh. you know it. And then it's a head palm moment, you know? Like, oh. <laughs> right. Um, but my very first series that I thought was cozy and was not, it was definitely an amateur sleuth kind of, I don't know, a kind of mystery. That series has come back to me. The rights have been returned. And so awesome. I'm getting ready to relaunch that with new covers. It's a fun time to be me. Yeah, we have, and like for, it's a fun time for us to be your readers as well, because we just have so many great things to look forward to. So that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So before we wrap up, let's do a quick round of lightning questions so readers can get to know you, Julianne Lindsay, a little bit better. Okay. And I think I know the answer to the first one, but coffee or tea? coffee but I'm learning to like tea see you surprised me I totally <laughs> would have guessed tea because of this <laughs> cafe series oh, no. yep nope. I'm uh, a coffee girl but I'm learning to like hot tea at night nice yeah same and the book you're reading right now is called the dating dare it's a romantic comedy by JC Lee oh I have that one on my list I need to read it super cute super yeah. cute 
And what is one of your favorite movies of all time? 27 Dresses. <laughs> A classic. Uh, <laughs> and your favorite season? Fall. Definitely fall. Especially in Ohio. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Oh, the leaves. I can only imagine. Yeah. And your favorite genre to read? Right now, I can't get enough romantic comedy. I mm-hmm. love my romance, and I like to laugh, so it's really, it's just one after another for me right now. That's awesome. I love rom-coms. That's my second favorite genre, so I, I'm right there with you. And your favorite food? <laughs> I'm going to say tacos. I feel like this is an opportunity to make myself look really classy, and I'm missing the mark. <laughs> You are not the first answer who, or the first author who's answered that with tacos. So you're in good company, I promise. Okay. <laughs> author food. Yeah, it is. They're delicious. How can you not like a taco? <laughs> author you'd most like to meet. Oh, my hero. I'm hoping one day I get to do this. So Janet Ivanovich. That would be incredible. I was on a panel with Sandra Brown, and I am not kidding. I fangirled all over her. I thought she was going to asked me to sit in the audience instead she let me take selfies was the nicest woman ever oh my goodness I'm hoping for that same opera then my life is complete at that point right (laughs) (laughs) life goal unlocked like you you're just you're complete except I don't think I'd be able to say any words to Janet so right that would be the problem And the location you'd most like to visit. I'm, I I have thought about this because you warned me it could come up. And I'm really, really, really torn. Um, I want to say Ireland, but I'm not yeah. exactly sure where in Ireland. So I think I just need to tour mm-hmm. Ireland. <laughs> yeah, that like that's me and my husband's like we're going back and forth you know, when the pandemic is over, whether we want to do yeah. like a tour of Ireland or Edinburgh. And it's, it's a oh, tough decision. <laughs> that's my second choice too. My son got to go. Um, he went to England, Scotland and Ireland as like a high school trip or something. How Must be neat. nice. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know, Ireland just has stuck with me as I want to do this one day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it would be magical. Hopefully someday soon. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> writer's retreat Christy we can make it happen yes, together <laughs> let's do it. we're gonna put that out into the universe right now <laughs> right. we're gonna make it happen <laughs> yes all right well Julianne's next novel in the Bonnie and Clyde series Islet Witness comes out December 15th if you haven't started that series already I highly recommend picking it up um, and then Pleading the Fish, the final and fabulous novel in the Seaside Cafe Mysteries is out April 29th. Um, but before we sign off, Julianne, do you want to tell our listeners how they can connect with you online? Sure. Um, Instagram is someplace that I try to be every day. And it's just at, I think, Julianne Lindsay. And Facebook, same thing. I have a Facebook page I post every day. But um, if you like to chat and get to know other people that are reading what you're reading, I have a reader group that just talks about my books, and I um, I just love them. I just love them, and, and it's called Cozy Queen. So it's a reader group, and it's Cozy Queens, and it's me, and I pick their brains regularly. I'm always asking for help with my stories, and I'd kind of be a little lost without them. So by all means, please come join us. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, as soon as we get off this call, I'm going to go right over there and join. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, uh, Julianne, it has just been so much fun chatting with you. I would love to have you on the show again in the future. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Oh, thank you so much. This was a blast and I'm just honored. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, And listeners, just stay tuned because I will be right back with some cozy December releases for you to add to those TBRs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Get Cozy Podcast, we're going to be ending each episode with recommendations for some upcoming cozy mystery releases that you simply can't miss. So without further ado, here are a couple of cozies to add to your to-read list. This week I have a couple of very fun recommendations for you. The first is Pride, Prejudice, and Peril by Katie Oliver. This is the first book in the Jane Austen Tea Society Mysteries. It came out on December 7th from Berkeley. And in this novel, number one New York Times bestselling author Jane Austen meets reality TV and murder in this quirky, cozy mystery. Phaedra Brighton is perfectly content with her life of lecturing college students, gossiping with her best friends, and dreaming of Mr. Darcy. As a young, respected, if somewhat peculiar, English professor, her expertise lies in all things Jane Austen, but she knows that the closest she'll ever get to being a real-life Elizabeth Bennet is in her dreams. When Who Wants to Marry Mr. Darcy, a new reality TV show, starts filming at her best friend Charlene's estate, Phaedra is intrigued, and when the producer asks her to lend her Austenian knowledge as a consultant on the show, she's over the moon. But on the first day of filming, when Charlene's new husband is is found electrocuted and Charlene herself is accused of the crime, Phaedra comes crashing back to reality. With murder on the syllabus and her best friend in dire straits, there's no Mr. Darcy around to help Phaedra. She'll have to get to the bottom of this mystery herself. My second recommendation is for book number nine in the Fixer Upper Mysteries by Kate Carlisle, Absence of Mallets. This also came out on December 7th from Berkeley. And in this novel, contractor Shannon Hammer steals her nerve to pin down a killer in the latest fixer-upper mystery from the New York Times bestselling author of Premeditated Mortar. Shannon could not be happier that her hunky thriller-writing boyfriend Mac has moved in, and it is a good thing they are living together because they are both busier than ever. Mac is hosting writing retreats at his new vacant lighthouse mansion, while Shannon and her crew build Homefront, a quaint Victorian village of tiny homes for veterans in need. Mac's latest guests are proving to be a handful, though, and Shannon has heard some grumbling from the luminaries of Lighthouse Cove about her latest passion project. But nothing can throw a wrench in their plans except a malicious murder. When one of Shannon's new friends is found brutally bludgeoned with a mallet near the lighthouse on Mac's property, the couple hammers out a suspect list and searches for a motive. As they drill deeper for clues, more violent strikes and a new victim winds up in a coma. The pressure is on and Shannon and Mac will have to move fast to find an unhinged killer dead set on demolishing anyone who gets in their way. That's all for this week's episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Get Cozy Podcast. 
to see which authors we'll be hosting in our upcoming episodes. Also follow me at Cozy Christie. That's Cozy K R Y S T I to see which cozies I'm reading and recommending. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, happy reading and stay cozy.